changed together as a community. Uh, and in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, kids, so you've got your coloring packets, and I'm going to ask you, there are three pictures I'm asking people to draw, one of a car, one of a tower, and one of your family that will be important later on, and if you're willing to share, I'm going to invite you to come up and share with me, so we're going to have a little bit of participation, but Rayana, will you help me for a second? All right, you can just stay there. So sometimes, not always, but sometimes when I read the Bible to my kids before they go to bed at night, in order to help them at least make a semblance of listening to what I'm reading to them, we play a little game. And I say, as I'm reading, I say like, say God. And they say, yeah, like that. So kids, as we're going through, if you're willing to participate, I'll say something like, say Canaan, and you'll say, yeah. Yeah, grown-ups, feel free to get in on this. All right, we're going to give this a go. Does anyone here like to build with blocks? Yeah, grown-ups, does anyone here like to build with blocks too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's awesome. We love building towers. Now, I don't know if you guys have the same problem I have in my home, but it seems like every time one person is really excited about building a tower, at least one other person in the same home is really excited about knocking said tower down. Yeah. How do you guys feel when someone frustrates your plans? Bad. Bad. Makes you angry. D- does anyone want to quit after a while? Like it's not even worth it? Yeah. All right. Question. How do you think God, like can humans ruin God's plans? No. Can humans kind of mess things up though? Yeah. 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 How do you guys think God feels when we mess up his plans? Does God ever give up on his plans when we mess it up? You don't think so? Yeah, we're going to find out as we look at the scriptures today. We are coming off of the story of Noah, which is nothing like the Hollywood movie, um, by the way. But we were in that last week. But this week, Noah and his family, they've come off the ark. Noah has sacrificed to God. And as God smelled the pleasing aroma of his sacrifice, God did three things. God significantly drew back on the effects of the curse on the ground. God blessed Noah and his family and the animals and said, be fruitful and multiply. And then God made a lasting covenant, a a promise where he bound himself and showed it by putting a rainbow in the sky to remind him that he'll never again flood the earth uh, and destroy all life there. So as long as the earth remains, there will not be waters that cover the whole face of the globe. And we all go, thank God. Yeah. So no matter how much it rains in Portland, the world is going to be fine. So we're going to be in Genesis chapters 9, 18 through 11, 26. We've got two stories and two genealogies in one pattern to pay attention to. Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now Ham was the father of Canaan. Can everyone say Canaan? Yeah. The author's putting this little detail here in the text because it's important For later on in the story, we want to pay attention. These people called the Canaanites are going to factor into the story of God's people. Now, these were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the face of the whole earth. Everyone say scattered. Scattered. Yeah. Uh, Right now, there's eight people in one place together, and something's going to happen that's going to scatter them across the entire world. I wonder what. But first, a story. See, Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. And when he drank some of its wine, he became drunk, and he lay uncovered inside his tent. 
Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers about it. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and they laid it across their shoulders and they walked backwards and they covered their father's naked body and their faces were turned away so that they would not see their father naked. And when Noah woke up from his wine and he found out what his younger son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan, not Ham, Canaan. Everyone say Canaan. Canaan. Yeah. Why? This is important. And it's a puzzle that the author of Genesis wants us to wrestle with. Why is Canaan cursed when it was his dad that did the bad thing? Now, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem and may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. So just as in the beginning, God was the first one to name things. And then we see Adam given the authority to name things. In the beginning, God was the one to pronounce blessings. God was the one to pronounce curses. And now Noah is blessing. Noah is cursing. And they're going to stick. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years. And then he died. Everyone say he died. So even though God significantly drew back the effects of the curse due to Noah's sacrifice, the world is still broken. People still die. The hearts of humans haven't changed. And something really bad and shady happened with this really awesome, righteous man um, who made a bad decision. So, kids, let's talk about patterns for a second. Does anyone know about patterns? Yeah. All right. So, so here's the pattern. Tell me what comes next. Car, tower, those are supposed to be two arrows pointing in different directions. Car, tower, what comes next? Arrows. Arrows, yeah. Simple. All right, let's talk about a different pattern. A garden is planted where someone who's meant to walk with God lives, who takes of the fruit of a tree and alludes to sin and nakedness, blessing and cursing, which is followed by a line of a bunch of kids that end up in a city that's built full of people who are proud and arrogant and don't want anything to do with God that invites now God's judgment over the whole earth, whole world. That's chapters one through six of Genesis. Let's try this again. A righteous man named Noah plants a garden and he takes of its fruit and it leads to nakedness, which then leads to blessing and cursing, which is then going to lead to chapter 10, a bunch of kids being born, which is then going to lead to a city that's proud, rebellious, and wants nothing to do with God. That's then going to lead to, let's see if your parents can figure out the pattern. Close, close, but not quite. So let's talk about cars. All right. So parents, be, be at ease. This is how to, how to, produ- uh, how to, Um, Address a rather sordid story in the Bible. Um, See Leviticus 18 to shed a little bit more light on what might have happened there in that tent. But here's what I want to talk about. Kids, do you have pictures of a car? Has anyone done one of these? Can I see it? Olivia, will you come share your car story, your car picture with me? Let's see what we've got. Oh, pink. Fantastic. With dual four-pane windows... I like it. It makes me smile. Thank you for sharing that. It's supposed to be a van. It's a van. I'm sorry. All right, Theodore, yes. Whoa. Is this, is this, a, is this a rocket ship? No. Okay. It's, Those look like flames. 
No, they're not. It's got a high arrow. These, this is a container that holds 15 things, and this is flowing out fire. And it can fly. It can it, fly. It's a Yeah, I don't know if you guys can see the half van, half rocket ship. I will, I was, thank you. Thank you. All right. Oh, okay. Last one. Last one. You'll have to, whoever wants to share. It's a, it's a what car? Pyramid car? Yes. With green crayons. Thank you for sharing. All right. What in the world does Noah's story about the tent and getting drunk have to do with the car? Well, I have a story of my own. My parents live in Montana, and one time I visited them for Christmas. And in order to come from Montana back to Oregon, you have to go over the Rocky Mountains. There are these very tall mountain peaks. And so you drive up one side of the mountain, up, 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 and then you come down the other side, down, down, down you go. And it's wintertime. And I'm driving up, up, up the mountain, and it's raining. And I get to the very top of the mountain, and I see a line on the road. And that line tells me that trouble is ahead. Because on my side of the mountain, it is raining. And on the other side of the mountain, it is snowing and the road is icy. And I'm driving too fast. And I try to slow down, but I can't slow down fast enough. And so my car hits this line of icy slush. And it's a long way down this mountain. My car begins to skid. And I'm out of control. And so I'm like, don't panic. Just foot off the gas. Turn a little bit to the left. Nothing. All right. Try turning a little bit to the right. Oh, that's not working either. All right, let's give it a little gas and see if I can get out of this. No good. Let's try the brake. No good. And my car continues to slide until I'm traveling this way and I'm facing this way, going down a mountain. And all of a sudden, my tire hits a little bit of traction and I run nose first into the concrete median. And now I'm spinning down a mountain. And where I stop, nobody knows. And I'm terrified. And I'm totally out of control. And by the grace of God, truly, my car ends up on the, si the far side of the road, facing downhill. My engine died, but I'm okay. My car was okay. It started up, and uh, I proceeded much more carefully on my road. So, here's the thing. Noah got drunk. And he lost control in his tent. He moved outside of the boundary. See, a car is something that blesses us when we stay within the guidelines. And when we move outside of the boundaries and outside of the guidelines, bad things can happen to us and to other people. See, Ham made a similar decision. He moved outside the guidelines of what God had decreed about how you honor your parents and about certain other things that you do and don't do. And it brought cursing and it brought destruction upon him and his community. So this is my best illustration for like what to do on a family Sunday with the story. But it's important to stay within God's path in order to be blessed because being out of control brings bad things. All right, that was my best effort. Now we have a list of a bunch of names. It's called the Table of Nations. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. So, three boys, here's their names. I'm not going to read them all. First, you have the maritime people. If you want to know, biblically, people who live a long way off, they are a descendant of Japheth. And the author gives seven sons of Japheth and then seven grandsons. He doesn't list everybody. 
His intention is not to tell you every person who existed at the time. He's doing something very specific with this genealogy. And we're done. So Japheth gets a little bit of room. Ham and his descendants get the most room. And then Shem gets middle of the road. So the sons of Ham, he had four sons. And again, here's Cush. He'd have seven grandsons, uh, seven great-grandsons. And now we're told a story. Cush was the father of a guy named Nimrod. Would you say Nimrod? Nimrod? Good, you're listening. Perfect. Who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, which is why it said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Yeah, he made a name for himself. And the centers of his kingdom, the first centers, were Babylon, and Uruk, and Akkad, and Kalna in Shinar. And from that land, he went over to Assyria. Assyria is actually one of Shem's sons. So he, he's bringing his kingdom effectiveness to someone else's land. And there he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, the great city. Biblically, Babylon, Nineveh are not the best cities. These end up being huge, and I mean huge major headaches for God's people later on. And they get their start with this guy who's building a kingdom. The only other person in the scriptural story so far who builds a city has been Cain. And it seems like Nimrod is right up there with him. So then we find out about the sons of Egypt. Again, we have a list of seven. And the pattern kind of breaks down. He's less interested with the number of seven and more with a total of 70. And later in Genesis, when we get to the descendants of Israel who go to Egypt, there are 70 of them. It will be significant. So Canaan, everyone say Canaan. Canaan. Yeah, the guy who was cursed. We read about his sons. Sidon and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Girgashites. And if you are an Israelite living in the days of Moses wandering around in the wilderness, you have heard a lot about these people. They're living in the land that the Lord God has promised to give his people. It's, well, we'll get there in a second. So the Canaanites scattered, this is where they lived. And these are the sons of Ham. So the author's paying special attention here to these people. And now we're told about Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. So he's not the eldest. And he is the ancestor of the sons of Eber. So there's something about this guy named Eber that's significant. And if you go to the bottom of the list, we see Shelah, the father of Eber. The son, two sons were born to Eber, and one was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. We've heard that people are going to be scattered. Now we hear people are going to be divided. His brother was named Joktan. And rather than telling us anything more about Peleg, the author concentrates, concentrates on Joktan and his line and descendants. And these are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent within their nations. And from these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. And there's 70 of them. And notably, the nation of Israel is not listed among the 70 nations of the world. Hmm. All right, so we had a story. We had a bunch of kids. We're going to have another story. We're going to have another bunch of kids. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. And people moved eastward which in scripture is almost always a bad direction to go. And they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. So remember that pattern, Cain 
was cast out from the face of God, and he moved eastward and built a city. Now we have people moving eastward, building a city. And they said to, the, to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. I heard someone preaching on this in 2007. He says, does anyone here have an iPhone? He's like, the iPhone. This is, this is technology. I know bricks are kind of old news at this point, but they're awesome. It's like stone, but stone that you can make into a shape that's really easy to stack. We are in a brick building. Clearly, the technology still works. The public library is a brick building. This is awesome. You can do things with brick, and people are all excited. We have technology. We have culture. What are we going to do with it? And they said, ah, come. Let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Everyone say scattered. Scattered. Yeah, we know what's coming, but they don't want it. In Genesis 9, God blesses Noah and his sons. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And here's a bunch of people who say, we don't want to. And just before we had a story about one son that is cursed or, or grandsons, and then two boys that are blessed. And we're told about a guy named Nimrod, the son of one of the guys who did the bad thing. And he builds in the plain of Shinar a city called Babylon. This is that city. These are the people of Ham who are wanting to bless themselves instead of letting God bless them. We're going to build a tower to the earth. All right. Does anyone have a picture of a tower? Can I see it? All right. Yeah. Come on up. Noah or Daisy, whichever... I need to look at you guys together. This is a pyramid, and this is a huge, gigantic tower. So you have a pyramid on top of a tower or close to the top. That's, thank you. Thank you. Look at all those bricks. Let's see. Oh, I like it. I like it. A big, tall tower. I got four windows. Looks very tall. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. All right. Come on up. Yeah. A tower rising to the heavens. This is perfect. Can I borrow this? Okay. All right. Kara, can you see this? A little bit? All right. Yeah. Yeah, this is great. So, they're going to build a tower to the heavens. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. We're going to reach the heavens. And God says, but I can't see it from here. So, so God has to... Uh, He says, so God comes down to take a look at this tower that reaches all the way to the heavens. Thank you, Abby. It's funny. It's going to be huge. And God says, wait, where is it? And the Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So kudos to people. We can do some pretty impressive stuff. But God, in this ironic wonderfully splendid twist of justice to the people who said, come, let's make bricks. Come, let us build a tower to the heavens. God says, all right, come, let's go down there. We can see it from here, but we need to go further down. 
Let's go down there and let's confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. And that is why it was called Babel. Everywhere else in the Bible, this term is used. It's translated Babylon. It's the same word. This is the city of Babylon. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. What did people want? They said, we don't want to be scattered over the face of the whole earth. We want to make a tower and make a name for ourselves. And God says, well, I don't think so. And so instead of physically removing them, like in a flood, he just makes it hard for them to understand each other. So whether that's one person speaking Spanish and the other person's speaking Chinese, or maybe that's like in your homes when you have two people who are speaking the same language, and yet it seems like communication is not quite happening, I don't know. But people start fighting and they give up building the city and this tower. So if we had the pattern of a garden and sin and nakedness and blessing and cursing and a bunch of kids in a city followed by judgment in the flood, the Tower of Babel is, again, like the flood. It is a sign of God's judgment on human rebellion and sin. And now we get to the second list of names. Does anyone have a picture of your family? All right. I saw a hand. Olivia, if you've got one, come on up. Let's see, let's see family photos. All right. Kelly is larger than Theodore. We don't have a cat that large. But man, your brothers are tiny. Okay, thank you. Let's see, uh, Olivia. Oh, you labeled people. This is going to be great. Mom, Dad, me, Lowen, Thorn, and Flies. Are you guys having a problem with that right now? <laughs> they're they're li- they're labeled in big, giant blue letters. Thank you. Hey, Timmy. Let's see what you got. Can I see it? <sighs> okay. Who's that? Rayana. Rayana. She's taller than me. Who's that? You. Okay. Who's that? Am I, am I kind of grumpy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> who's that? That's Theodore. And who's that? That's me. Are you really that sad? Yes. Oh, I'm so I'm sorry. Not oh, good. Okay. I'm glad. Thank you so much for sharing with me, Please, Timothy. Kelly, baby Daniel. Oh, thank you. <laughs> awesome. Families are important. This is the account of Shem's family line, and we... We wonder, why, are we, why is this being repeated? We've already heard about the children of Shem. But the author is doing something interesting. So two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Arphaxad. And all you kids can be so glad that when you were born, your parents didn't name you Arphaxad. And after he became the father of Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years and he had other sons and daughters. I was mistaken a few weeks ago. I said that Genesis 5 is the only passage of scripture that has like the names of how old people were as they gave birth to their children. Um, Clarity, one here, one in chapter five and one here in chapter 11 are the only two that I'm aware of. So I was mistaken. But we see some things with these numbers that are important. But the author's tracing the line. We get down to Eber who had two sons, Peleg 
because in his days the earth was divided. So roughly, he is a placeholder for when the Tower of Babel occurs. And just as in the flood, um, after the flood, people live about half as long as people lived before the flood. After the Tower of Babel, people live about half as long as they did before the Tower of Babel. And Joktan is not even mentioned. So Peleg lived uh, 30 years. He had kids, and we continue to trace this genealogy down 10 generations from Noah, from Shem, and we're list to three people, Shem, I mean Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Three boys. Just like Noah had three sons, now we have a guy named Terah who has three sons. And one of them is going to be really, really important. So, two stories, two lines, one pattern. Human sin and rebellion cannot stop God's plan to bless the world. We try to ruin it. We refuse to be blessed on God's terms. And God just keeps choosing to work through people. And so the pattern will continue. Just as after judgment, God picked one person to continue his plan to bless the world. So after judgment in Babel, God's going to pick one person through whom to bless the world. We're going to hear his story next week. So what do we see? There's a pattern. We see God's good world is corrupted by human evil. Nevertheless, God continues his plan to bless. But he will bring judgment. We see goodness. This was Family Sunday. I was like, goodness, righteousness, right choices. It leads to blessing. Badness leads to cursing. Uh, An option is set before people to choose life or death. We see that God is both just and merciful. He's just. Come, let us make a tower. God says, well, come, let's go mix up their language. It's awesome and, and ironic. I also think God is merciful. This is my best guess. Why does God not curse all of the descendants of Ham? I'm not sure. But I do think it's an act of mercy that only one of Ham's four kids ends up actually bearing the weight of his father's sin. And the more we know about these people and the way they behave, the more that we see they are just like their dad. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We see God will humble the proud. This is where it starts. If you're ever reading in the Bible and there's this really confusing language about things that are high and lofty and God bringing them down low, it is a repeated pattern of Babylon. God doesn't think much of human pretension and pride. He'll bring it down. We see humans cannot ruin God's good plans. Try as we might. We just don't have that power. And as cool as our towers may be, God cannot see them from where he sits. He's got to come take a closer look. And of course, we're still waiting for that snake crusher. Now, kids, I don't know if you knew about this, but back in Genesis 3, there's a promise that God gives to Adam and Eve that from one of the kids, from the woman, will one day come and crush that nasty serpent and his heel will be crushed in the process. But there's a hope that somewhere along the way, a child will be born that's going to rescue the world from sin and from death and from evil and thorns and futility and repair all that is broken. But we haven't run across that kid yet. And there's a lot more kids uh, on the way. So here's three ways I think we could respond. First truth, sin brings God's judgment. We have a choice, and our choices have consequences. And so we can make our choice, but we cannot choose the consequences that will come from it. So remember the car illustration. God has made a way of wisdom that he intended the world to be. God wants to bless humanity. And as long as we stay within God's guidelines, things go well. But when we're out of control, 
things go poorly for our life and the life of other people. So kids, I would encourage you, learn from your parents about how you can do this. Don't be out of control. And you adults, same thing. And, and kids, honor your parents. Ham did not, but Shem and Japheth did, and they're blessed for it. See, later on in the story, we're actually going to read, God tells the whole nation of Israel, honor your parents, your father and your mother, in order that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. See, Canaan, the one who's cursed because of someone's dishonor to his father, are the group of people that are going to be kicked out of God's good land. And so God tells the Israelites, you honor your parents and you get to stay here a long time. Now, you adults, sin brings God's judgment. So let us repent of our sin. Tell God we're sorry. And let us find blessing by not misusing God's good gifts. So um, whether that's alcohol, there's two early stories of people getting drunk in the Bible. Um, The next one is a guy named Lot and two daughters in a cave, and it's no better than the one of Noah. So um, when we... When we drink to the point that we're no longer in control of ourselves, bad things can happen. So just generally speaking, I'd say not, don't do it. But alcohol is a good gift from God. It's part of the created order. It is a good thing when used well. So is sexuality. So is food. So is, you know, our occupations. So is money. So So are games and entertainment. And any one of these things in God's good world, when used appropriately, can bring life and blessing and joy to our hearts. But when used inappropriately, and we can ruin our lives, we can ruin the lives of other people. So let us live within the guardrails that God has set up and listen to them. All right, number two, people can't be blessed apart from God. This is the tower story. You have a bunch of people, God says, be blessed Fill the earth. And a bunch of people who says, we don't want to. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to bless ourselves, God, through our technology, through our culture, through our architecture. We are going to make a name for ourselves. And you see this happening all the time. People, uh, I'm going to be famous through being the best, most accomplished uh, athlete I possibly can. I'm going to be the best businessman. I'm going to be the best politician. I'm going to have the most power, the most money, the most whatever. To be blessed apart from God. I think the, the solution to this, because that, that way leads to judgment, God will ultimately judge it, although you may get along with it for a while. As kids, I would encourage you, trust, believe, same word, that God wants to bless you. God actually wants good things for you. Like oftentimes, I think your parents want good things for you, and it's hard to trust that when it doesn't seem good to you right now in this moment. God wants to bless us. And we have to trust that he knows what's good for us because we often have other ideas. And I would invite you to care more about that God knows who you are than that other people do. Let God make a name for you. It'll last a lot longer. I was in school one time and the professor put up a picture of this dude and he says, who knows who this is? Out of a class of 30 students, two of us raised our hand. And he says, "Um, that is Richard Nixon former president of the United States, who at the time of his presidency was the most powerful man on planet Earth. And 30, 40 years later, most of people in the class have no idea who he is. Our ability to make a name for ourselves is rather short-lived. 
He did it again. He says, who's this guy? And only one person raised his hand. He says, that is Isaiah Thomas. He's an NBA star back in the day who says, when I'm on fire, even God can't stop me. And, uh, and very few of us had any idea or any clue. And yet there's going to be a guy we're going to meet next week. His name is Abram. We're still talking about him. God's ability to make a name for us is far greater than our ability to make a name for ourselves. So let's care about what God thinks and less about what people do. Now, you adults, let us repent of our pride and our arrogance. We can do it ourselves. We can, we can accomplish things. We are, you know, the supreme example of what a human being ought to be compared to everyone else. Like, no, no. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So if you want to invite God's grace into your life, humble yourself and let him lift you up. And let us refuse to make a name for ourselves apart from God. This doesn't mean don't be successful. This doesn't mean don't work hard. It doesn't mean that. It means where is our identity located? and Why are we living the way we do? And if we're doing it so that other people know who we are, first and foremost, as opposed to God knowing who we are, then we're all backwards. But we might get along with it for a while. It's like two, three hundred years before, after the flood, before God brings judgment on the Tower of Babel. You live in a day and age where it looks like people are living for themselves and it's working out really, really great for them. And the Bible says, but judgment is coming. You will not get, along with, get away with it for long. If you would really be blessed, trust that God loves you and he has something good for you. All right, so sin brings judgment. People can't bless themselves. Last thing to realize is God wants to bless the world through those that he chooses. So Adam and Eve fell, and God chose to work through the line of Seth, and ultimately in a guy named Noah. And then Noah was really great until he wasn't, and all of us are just like Noah, very mixed bags of people. And yet God is going to choose one person, a guy named Abram, and he's going to choose to bless the world through Abram. Because Abram's special? No, because God chose Abram. We're still looking for that snake-crushing person. So remember the arrows. The arrows are, are shown to mention, showed, I don't know. I'm struggling this morning, guys. I'm sorry. The arrows are there to show you that any person in any family has a choice. What family line do you want to be part of? Do you want to be part of the, part of the line of people that are living life your own way, apart from God and his blessings, or do you want to choose to trust God? Each one of us in our family is given a choice. And this is highlighted just in a subtle way in the text by these two sons of Eber. One's name is Joktan. And we read his genealogy and we end up in Babylon. We don't hear anything about his brother. The other one's name is Peleg. And we read his genealogy after the Tower of Babylon. And it ends up in a guy named Abram who's blessed by God to be a blessing to the whole world. God just chooses people and he keeps narrowing his focus, who he's going to work through. And ultimately, I'm going to fast track in the story because we have a thousand pages between where we are now and where we need to end up being. God's going to bless the world through the family line of Abraham that culminates in a guy named Jesus, who comes one day to crush the serpent, to conquer death, and to undo the confusion of Babylon, the whole communication problem we have. Because after Jesus died and was buried and he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon God's people, they all started babbling 
in other languages. And people, instead of being confused, are hearing the announcement of the, the good news of God in their mother tongue. Jesus comes to undo the curse. He's the one we've been waiting for. But unfortunately, at this point in the story, we have a long ways to wait. So we have a choice. If God's going to bless the world through those he chooses, we can ask ourselves, where do we want to go? And I would just invite you to choose to trust God and to follow Jesus. God says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you to Abram. And ultimately, God picks one person, Jesus, and says, if you want to be blessed, you have to get on board with Jesus. Just like in the days of Noah, if you wanted to be blessed, you better get on the boat because that's where salvation is. So in Jesus, if you want the blessings of God, Jesus is the only way to get there. And it's not a, not a stingy, I don't care about other people offer. It is, it is an open-armed invitation to all who would come to experience God's blessing and God's salvation. We can, we can live a life of culture if we want to. And we might even call ourselves blessed for a time. But judgment is coming. Would we trust that God actually loves us? That he actually has our good? planned? Would we choose to follow his son, Jesus, and to live within God's guidelines and not be out of control, and to look to God to bless us instead of other people, and to be part of God's family and be on mission with God to bring the blessings of God to the entire world? And this morning, let's thank God that though we screw things up and we try to knock God's tower down, he's going to build his own kingdom, and nothing we can do can stop it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you for our children, and they did amazing. So <laughs> I praise you for that. And Father, now let us just respond with hearts full of gratitude, with joy um, in what you've done for us through your son. Help us to trust that you really do have our ultimate good in store. And so the sacrifices that you ask of us now are, are but a step on the way to glory and honor and immortality and blessing that you have uh, awaiting us. We praise you, Father. We want to love you more.